May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. This is the last part of the series on Rosemary Kennedy. We've been discussing her story so we can learn and grow in our understanding of autism and ADHD from a historical perspective. It's also important because when we hear her narrative, many who are struggling with fibromyalgia and other related illnesses may also be living with one of these neurodivergent conditions like autism and ADHD. Up until this point, we've had kind of a sad story of Rosemary's life. In this final episode, we are going to hear about such a positive experience, but unfortunately, tragedy hits. We have been using the biography by Kate Clifford Larson to help walk through Rosemary's life to grow in compassion for those who are struggling in the present. Remember that while I am a doctor, I am not your doctor. All signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own individual physician. And now on to this week's episode. Rosemary went to the new school that used the Montessori method and reported to her parents that she was extremely busy working on an album at school and was finding it an awful lot of work. She was taking elocution and contemplating her next set of courses. She had been working hard for a diploma, which she believed would qualify her to be a kindergarten school teacher. The entire school community probably shared Rosemary's acceptance of Dr. Montessori's visit to the school. The Montessori method of education emphasizes hands-on individual learning strategies and techniques of teaching in multi-age group settings. Children of varying intellectual abilities and levels work side by side, learning at their own pace in open classrooms. Born in 1870, Maria Montessori was a precocious child whose well-educated parents encouraged her sharp mind. She was awarded a medical degree in 1896, becoming one of Italy's first female doctors. Her medical training had taken her into the slums and orphanages of Rome, where she witnessed the ravaging effects of poverty and the lack of education on the city's most vulnerable children. She became particularly interested in disabled children with intellectual disabilities and emotional problems destined to live in empty, lifeless rooms. She opened a daycare setting in the slums through which she developed theories about child development and learning. Montessori requires that teachers and caregivers speak to the children with respect and care, recognizing that despite their disabilities, ill health, neglect, and poverty, these children had an innate desire to learn. Montessori believed that if children were exposed to a safe, experiential learning environment as opposed to a structured classroom with access to specific learning materials and supplies, if supervised by a gentle and attentive teacher, they would become self-motivated to learn. She discovered that in this environment, older children readily worked with younger children, helping them learn from and cooperate. Montessori advocated teaching practical skills like cooking, carpentry, and domestic arts, as an integrated part of learning. 
classical education and literature, science, and math. To her surprise, teenagers seemed to benefit from this approach the most. It built confidence and the students became less resistant to traditional educational goals. Through this method, each child would reach their potential regardless of age and intellectual ability. The Montessori method arrived in the United States just a few years before Rosemary's birth in 1915, and it would be years before it was widely accepted. Although Rosemary might have benefited from such instruction as a young child, she would only be exposed to it once she was enrolled at the Assumption School in London. For the Assumption sisters, Montessori's ideas on and evil also fit with their Catholic theology. At Belmont House, Rosemary would be constantly attended by at least one aide or caretaker and sometimes two. Weekly transitions between school and home with weekends spent at the embassy, including the demands of numerous social functions and the high-level activity typical of the Kennedy family, had caused exceptional stress for her because her parents constantly controlled her. Now less would be asked of her. More could be met, and she could feel more relaxed. Dorothy was her constant companion and assisted her with her studies, social engagements, and any excursions away from the school. And busy days kept Rosemary content and happy, but here too she would lose her temper and lash out at her new friends, nuns, teachers, and even younger students. The Assumption sisters' letters to Joe and Rose suggest that they were aware of Rosemary's disabilities, consistently remarking on the 21-year-old's marked improvement in her studies and attitude since her arrival. Still, the sisters also reported that on occasion she needed to be reminded not to be so fierce in front of the other children. She and her brothers also worried that Rosemary might accidentally do something dangerous while Mother was occupied with some unavoided official function. Would she get confused taking a bus and get lost among London's intricate streets? Would somebody attack her? Could she protect herself if she was out of the eye of the governess? Mary Moore, who worked at the Belmont House, where she was getting the Montessori teaching, wrote that she had never seen such a change in her life after Rosemary had just spent a few weeks at the Belmont House. The breathtaking pastoral landscapes of Belmont's house, extensive estate buildings, and Dorothy Gibbs' devotion to her Montessori educational methods made Rosemary's day-to-day life brighter and happier. A passionate and innovative educator, Mother Isabel seemed to hold a magical key to learning. She believed that the Montessori method built confidence not undermined by the wrong set of competition, which often promotes envy and feelings of inferiority. He felt it would be a disservice to return to the United States and it would be better for her to stay there. She is no bother when she is away from the other children. She gets along very well with Mary Moore and they have lots of fun together. Mother Isabel said that the calm and sameness of her life is just what she needs. That's just what she needs is so interesting because, again, that fits so much with the idea that she was on the autism spectrum and that need for sameness. She continues, I'm so glad Mr. Kennedy gave you good news of our dear Rosemary. He is pleased with her. We too are very satisfied with the rest of the term. Rosemary is very well, obviously happy, and she has made much progress in many ways. Rosemary was now completing tasks. She also has a good time reading to the children. She prepares and gives them lunch in the middle of the morning and has many other occupations of a domestic kind, which she is able to do alone. Not the least of which is putting away the dining room things, china, and silverware in the cupboard. 
Mother Isabel knew about Rosemary's anxiety over her parents' praise. She thinks of you immensely, especially loves you in heaps and loves hearing from you to get your approval. She was also worried about her faults and asked me one day to tell her what faults she had as faults spoil people. This struck me, showing me how much she thinks things out. We have had more talks. She has been trying to harder to think of what pleases others before what pleases herself, and to be nice to people even when she thinks they are not nice to her. She comes to me when anything upsets her and we have it out along these lines. The Kennedys have been blessed with their near-perfect healing. We continue with picking up in the interview with Kate talking about Rose's next stage in life. And so she suffered in many ways. In other ways, though, they were in Eng- when they eventually moved to England and she entered a Montessori school situation and the mother superior of the school had been trained by Maria Montessori. Those methods, those Montessori methods that the mother superior used with Rosemary helped Rosemary with her confidence and she blossomed. So there were ways to help her. But it was just by chance that she ended up with this particular Catholic nun in this Catholic school that taught Montessori method. And so it was a terrible time in our world where they just didn't know how to help people with disabilities. And thank goodness things have changed since then. When you look back at her history, there were some good things like Rose recognized was going against the grain and saying, if I put her in an institution with other people who are struggling, it's not going to help her have, she thought she wouldn't potentially get better because she's not or surrounded by people. Potential. You're right. And a lot of these institutions were really sad. Now, when we look back, it's before the one flew over the cuckoo's nest, they were treated as subclass human. There were a lot of terrible things and almost cast away. When you look at this from a movie standpoint, if you were trying to create a script for a movie, you'd end it in London with Mother Superior. And then she continues to take care of these children, doing everyday things, happy, flourishing, everything's going well. They finally found the perfect spot such a supportive environment. And unfortunately, why did that stop? Because of World War II and the fears of bombing by Germans in London and outside of London, which did happen. So Joe and Rose brought Rosemary back in the spring of 1941 and uh, 1940, excuse me. And, and that began the spiral downward for Rosemary and driving Joe to make that faithful decision to have her lobotomized. And one of the really nice things where she was outside of London in kind of a pastoral, romantic kind of setting, there was routine, there was consistency, there was love. One of the parts of Rosemary is that she was a very empathic and sensitive person. And she just thrived on praise and so much wanted to please her dad and her mom. Yet there was that 
back and forth of wanting her, her to be more. She just tried so hard and she wasn't living up to her potential and she would get distracted and couldn't concentrate and all of these things. And now we know that a large number of people who have or on the spectrum also have ADHD. So you throw that in and there is a non-clinical term, but autistic burnout that when she gets back to the States, that quote regression, we learn that a lot of that are stress behaviors when somebody has had their routine and things change. And when you talk about a high stress, whether she could fully contemplate what was happening with the war, but on both being pulled from the perfect place that she was at ever maybe in her life for thriving and then a war and they could never match what that mother superior was in the states they never had that same kind of i think understanding and probably you can only read what was said i think one of the places that she went to they had to pay quote to have her do what they were doing in london but I don't think the people working there were likely the same as what they were doing in London. It sounded on when you read similar, but it's the probably the unspoken, unwritten relationships that she had with people that were not the same. And also, and the people weren't as patient. They had different expectations of Rosemary when they met her because Joe and Rose didn't tell people ahead of time what to expect. And so they were always blindsided. And then she had this incredible relationship and learning, sensitive learning environment with Mother Eugenie in London. And then she comes to the United States and they put her in an assumption school because Mother Eugenie was an assumption sister. And they thought all the assumption sisters were like that. And of course they weren't. They had not been trained by Maria Montessori. And they didn't have the patience with Rosemary that the mother superior did. So that was a tragic mistake and not recognizing that particular nun had those gifts. And interestingly, I'd love to say this too. After uh, the war, that nun came to the United States, worked in a Montessori school in Connecticut. And I have a picture in my book of the sister with a group of young third graders in line at school that they're going to, to mass in the morning or something, and they've got their hands praying. And this woman reached out to me from Los Angeles, and she said, I'm the little girl in the front of that line. And she had dyslexia, and she said that particular nun helped her learn how to read and write because she used the Montessori method, and she was very patient with her. And now that woman teaches special needs students in the city of Los Angeles. Like, wow. That sister, that nun, just she was a gift to obviously so many young people. And that's part of sharing this story that we can learn a lot from. And as you look back in history, because you're doing biographies of people in history, and I did a whole podcast series on Margaret Mitchell author of Gone with the Wind, and I find history so interesting. And I like to bring up these because a lot of times we in modern medicine assume that we should be able to fix everything and have everything perfectly figured out because we can do all of these great things. But it's like, we've come a long way 
when we look back and compare it to where things were, but there's still a lot of misunderstanding. I think it's growing in this whole world of the autism spectrum and talking to that. So sadly, they had to ruin the ending of the movie where everybody lives happily ever after. You look at the editor's cut and you go, no, we stopped the movie. And she pans and she has a family and she has kids and she's teaching preschoolers and doing all of these nice, great things. And of course, it ends. And almost for people who are listening with kids in the car who are or are squeamish, can you walk us through that last chapter of her life? So Rosemary comes back from England and is reengaged with the family, but they're all busy doing different things. Rose hasn't really taken care of Rosemary for years, physically, in person. She hasn't been there every day for Rosemary. So she sends her off to a summer camp, and she's supposed to be a junior counselor, but the young women that run the, the Catholic camp realize that Rosemary needs to have a counselor with her all the time because she just wanders off in the middle of the night into the woods and gets lost. She isn't good with the the children. Rosemary's sort of lost there, but she wants to do so well to make her parents proud of her, particularly her father. So she's asked to leave, and then she's sent to Philadelphia to an assumption school. That doesn't work out. Then her father brings her to Washington, D.C., and, and puts her in a convent. And she keeps escaping from the convent at night and goes out drinking and partying. And the nuns have to go out two o'clock in the morning and find her somewhere in the streets of Washington, D.C. And it's very scary what's going on. And the parents worry something's going to happen to her. These two doctors are operating on patients at a hospital in Washington, D.C., and they're doing the experimental lobotomies on patients. And they're claiming to the public that they are curing people like Rosemary and others with mental health issues, intellectual delays, et cetera, and saying, we do this lobotomy and they come out of the lobotomy better than ever, able to live independent, healthy lives. And when I looked at their research, they lied because most of the people coming out of lobotomies at that time could not live independent lives. 16% of their patients died and others had permanent health problems. And, and so Joe, in his rashness and his frustration at what to do with Rosemary, had her lobotomized. And the doctors cut too much of her frontal lobe, and they completely disabled her. When she came out of the surgery, she could not walk or talk. She couldn't take care of herself. She was incontinent. She was physically disabled permanently with on her left side, and it completely robbed her of an independent life. And she was institutionalized from November of 1941 when she had the surgery till she died in January of 2005. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that is more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. Well, and 
she lived her life about 20 miles from where I live. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Seeing Coletta and now reading more about her story and getting the backstory, what happened and reading from your book too, her siblings were busy. John F. Kennedy was trying to launch his career and a lot of what his health issues that we'll talk on a different podcast about were hidden because had they known the struggles he had, probably wouldn't have gotten elected. Then there's a lot of shame, misunderstanding of what's going on. And so there's so much to learn. I, I think that in the rush to hope for a quick surgical fix and in understanding more with autism spectrum that a lot of times when we have a difference in perception and somebody offers a surgery that's not proven by any evidence base to help, but somebody says they're, they're struggling and she would likely have gotten the right support. And hopefully people who now are in the situation where she was when she was in early grades has that support and the understanding. But this is just something really in the last 20 or so years or 10 years. And for me, and often she may have been missed because she might have blended in. A lot of girls are missed on the spectrum because they're maybe not as physically disruptive. They're more sweeter and all of this, and they don't know how to care for them. So hopefully those who are listening can, if they're interested, get your book and read it and dive in deeper. That's part of why we do podcasts to have a longer discussion and get the backstory. That's why I encourage patients to write down their story, even if the doctor can't read it all. What's interesting, you probably were not expecting that you'd get a pediatrician and internist in a podcast contacting you to talk about, hey, you just wrote a story, but did you know that you did such a good job that there were these symptoms that were not labeled that. Now we know that looking back, there are a lot of people who in history, we go, oh, that person was likely on the spectrum or may have ADHD or other things. And now we know, but um, hearing that story, I'm like, that's interesting. W what about that Rosemary story? And in a brief uh, mention in the book on John F. Kennedy by Robert Dalek, they had maybe a paragraph or two about her story and mm -hmm. what you can put in a paragraph or two, but then you get your expanded version of the backstory and you're like, you can get that two paragraphs and go, Joe was such a meanie. No, he had passion. He just fell for snake oil. Somebody offered something and it's almost like somebody's embarrassed that maybe they got this great stock deal, but they don't want to tell their wife that they're spending a million dollars on this deal because yeah. she'll probably say, you're crazy. What? They're going to put this in her head and spin it around and wait a minute. And I think Kick or Catherine, the yeah, younger it, sister, yeah. had a friend of hers who said, no, don't do this. And I think Joe, and, and just like JFK, probably had ADHD as well. He was very impulsive in lots of ways in his life and also a risk taker, which was a double-edged sword in his life. It made him very wealthy and with some luck, et cetera, but it also made 
contributed to this falling for this. And there wasn't the internet and evidence-based resources back then. I, I will say, I think he was impulsive and he was not, he did not do his due diligence that he would, I think, have done if it had been one of his sons. And mm. I think the frustration with Rosemary would just, he just wanted it taken care of. Uh, he did not expect her to become completely disabled. I think he truly believed she would just become calm and manageable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was completely. Yeah, he obviously didn't want what happened yeah. To, yeah, to that. He thought maybe she was having two to three years of this emotional dysregulation. Mm. And also at the time, many it was recognized who had that neurodivergent style brain were more likely to fall into prostitution, more likely to have unwed pregnancies and being taken care, taken advantage of wandering the streets in a big city. And that would be very scandalous. I think Joe was maybe the senator at the time or running for Senate or. No, the war had started and the young men were going off. Jack and Joe were going to go off and fight in World War II. But Joe Sr. was planning their political careers. That would be a good part of their resume, et cetera. Come back as war heroes and the whole thing. It would be good for their political careers. He didn't want anything in the way. And Rosemary could have posed a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts about her life that you'd like to share for listeners? I just would like to say that her life did have a tragic turn, but because of Rosemary, her siblings went on to really change the world and begin the dialogue about intellectual disabilities, physical disabilities, et cetera, et cetera, so that we're still moving the needle, but they were a big part of it because they loved her and they cared about her and she inspired them to do something, to change the world and provide resources and research money. Jack Kennedy signed some important legislation to fund research into maternal health, child health, uh, mental health, et cetera. And so because of that, we're in a better place today than we were 50 years ago. Yeah, it's they wanted so much to help and hoping for something. And I think that's for a lot of people who are dealing with chronic pain and not getting the help or those invisible illnesses may be willing to try something when conventional medicine doesn't have much to offer. And they, there was somebody, a lot of it was pseudoscience. I'm going to expand in the podcast, filling in some of the blanks from the interview, but they tried untested hormone treatments, which took a truth. Yes, that may help if you have these specific issues, but it doesn't cure autism or developmental retardation or delay. It could it if you had thyroid, yes, but then taking that extrapolation. And from the frontal lobotomy, we know that a lot of some of the dysregulation is in that prefrontal lobe, the front part of the brain. Sadly, we found that through functional MRIs and we don't treat it by doing surgery on that. And they kept pushing through. And and when we look at the state of medicine back then, consent, she was, all of those was a whole different wild west. How could that happen? And I think that's a word of note for people who are trying to do permanent surgeries back then. That was also in the twenties, the whole castration and sterilization that was happening, treating them like second-class citizens. And that was a lot of it started in the United States by famous people who were supporting it. And then 
Hitler took it to an extreme, but yet here in the U.S., we had this one class that many treated almost as subhumans. And now to learn from that, that I've had um, on the podcast talking about recently with the author of the book, Uniquely Human, that everybody's different. Everybody's created in their own unique way, their gifts and talents. And one of the things when somebody does have special needs, that gives you a chance to serve and really take for granted just basic things in life and appreciate things and also how somebody else like her could enjoy just caring for those kids and the routine and the structure and the guidance and having that. And when I look at her life, that part of a huge part of the autism spectrum is that need for sameness and consistency and also some creative flexibility. So that Montessori method that Mother Superior was doing and likely just had a big heart. She just could connect and knew and cared and did not treat her as that and had patience and then was able to help. Any other thoughts at all? Or No, this has been fascinating because I had not thought about what the diagnose would have been. And we talk about autism. Yeah, she could have been on the spectrum. Absolutely. I, I don't know. Maybe her medical records would show more, but we're not going to be able to see them. Yeah. And they would not have used the label autism back then. I, I think maybe some of the stuff that's left out of the record is the post-operative report and other things that might be just gruesome. Why do we need to know that she bled for a week after or the wound didn't heal or who knows stuff like that it's an interesting thing as reading through uh, do you know is it robert i think robert dalek on jfk's biography did you hear i think it's heard of jfk's or you ever read his biography yes i probably a few years ago i read that okay and he went through with a couple doctors but then that's a couple doctors but then the perspective they look at one aspect or this aspect and trying to put it together. And and I'm like, gosh, I want to get into that Kennedy Library to try to get access to look at these medical records. But it sounds like to get access, it's a special clearance, especially on some of yeah. that. You, Is that yeah. the, the family has to agree. I think you did a really good job of making her life and story important and presented in a really... I'd say balance, but a way that respects everybody involved. Tragically, Joe had a stroke a couple years after that, and he himself was um, probably worse off than Rosemary, or almost as bad, where he had struggled with nonverbal, non-speaking, or very immobile, and and struggled with that. If people want to get connected and learn more about books that you've done, how can they get a hold of or find that? Um, they can go on my website. It's Clifford Larson, all one word, dot com, and it lists my different books that I've worked on and projects. Are you a professor too? I stopped teaching in 2015 because I do a lot of consulting work and I just couldn't write books and research and do consulting and teach. So I stopped teaching. So what kind of consulting, like what few projects that you might work I on? I do a lot of consulting that has to do with Harriet Tubman, the Underground Railroad um, icon, and um, the state of Maryland. Um, I'm always doing projects for them. And the Tubman Home in Auburn, New York, there are two national parks dedicated to her. So I've done a lot of work for the national parks and um, tourism and things like that. So um, humbly speaking, are you 
Or have you become the go-to person to understand her life? Harriet Tubman? Yeah, Harriet Tubman. Oh, yeah. I hope you enjoyed hearing this discussion on Rosemary Kennedy. Help us gain insights into the history of autism and ADHD-related issues and use that to implement better care for ourselves, for our loved ones, and if we're healthcare professionals, for our patients. I'd love to have your feedback on this or other episodes. Please email me at drmichaellens at gmail.com. If you haven't already done so, please leave a rating and review and share this with others. Until next week, go Team Vibro. Bye.